Hi, is this Jessica? It is. Hi, this is Jake Jacobs. And they told me that you'd be able to talk a little bit about education. I am. Great, awesome. So let's dive right in. I'm covering this because a lot of reporting, a lot of media does not cover education. And I think I know why. The, why is that? Uh, well, because I think the, the really big packs threaten to spend against candidates that stick their neck out against education reform and a lot of Democrats that might otherwise oppose things like charter schools and standardized testing are either afraid to speak out to have that money spent against them or they're actually taking the money, in which case, you know, they're more inclined to support those things. And so, I mean, you could look up a major political figure who's been on the scene for decades and you would not find a position either way on charter schools, uh, standardized tests, and so that's why it's kind of like frustrating, and that's why I'm, well, that's why I'm writing so it. So my rank was a little different. Um, I ran against an incumbent who, during the debate on New York One, we were both asked how we felt about lifting the cap on charter schools, and our positions, you know, were, were clear. He was for lifting the charter school cap, and I was against. Um, and we'll, we're both very clear on that. Right. And so this election, it has been a little bit different. And the fact that you were asked that question is a, is a major change. I mean, that did not come up at all in 2016 elections. And so this is definitely progress. The blue wave that we're seeing and the, and the no IDC candidates or the IDC challengers seem to side a lot more uh, with public education. And, you know, to me, that's not a coincidence that, you know, it's, it's getting into the elections more and that, you know, that we're seeing a variance in, in the positions. Let me ask you about charters. The, the big question in the state Senate would be whether you would vote on a budget that would include expansion of charters or not. That's what the Republicans have been uh, trying to put into bills over the last couple of budgets. It's possible that the Democrats would have a majority and might set the agenda a little differently. But is your position just to kind of hold the line where we are? On charter schools, what's your charter school position in depth? So I do not support for-profit charter schools. Okay. Um, uh, I truly believe that when when the state or the city allocates any funding for charter schools, it just means that funds and resources are being taken away from our district public schools. And, and I say that as a proud graduate of public schools, but also as a public school mom. I have two boys, one in kindergarten, the other one in second grade, who, who attend a public school here in Jackson Heights. And, and so, of course, I am, you know, a, a, a mom who is deeply invested in their future and making sure that they have, that, that government is providing them with every single dollar that they deserve. And in this particular case, they're owed uh, just about $2 million in every year in um in CFE funding and campaign for physical equity funding or foundation aid funding. I know people call it different things. Yeah. Um, and, and that's, uh, but that's, that's something that I'm fighting for. And so when I see there are co-locations or buildings are given to a charter school when, when we know how frustrating it is for public school parents to see, especially co-located schools, the big difference you know, you're more essentially creating segregation between one system and the other. Yeah. I also am just a firm believer in the fact that charter school companies like 
Success Academy took all of the money that they spent on lobbying and actually put it into, you know, purchasing a school building or taking the space that they need, it would probably be a better use of their funds. And look, I don't think that we should trust the Walmarts of the world to give money to our public education system. I don't like the idea of the corporatization of our public school system, but that's their choice. I don't want that in, in public education. Um, and, and that's really me without getting into the whole teacher bit um, and protections for teachers and what that means in district schools versus just other school systems. You mentioned that they do spend lobbying money. That's part of their budget that, that a public school would never do. And, uh, you know, also there's advertising, marketing, consultants. Yes. There's a lot of stuff that we see. So that all goes and, to... And what's, and what's worse, yes, is you know, if the child, if the, if the student doesn't meet whatever academic requirements or somehow does not fit into the perfect student model that the particular school has, the child is ousted. And that's a big problem. If you're not, you know, if you're more worried about your brand than the actual student, then you're a business. You're not an educator. Right. That brings us to the question of cherry picking, which is, not just done after the student has been in the school and hasn't lived up to the expectations, whether it's academically or behaviorally, we have the accusations, especially in New York City charter schools, that they cherry-pick long before that to ensure that the high-needs kids never even get into the school in the first place. Do you have a position on the, the accusations that they rig the game and that the lottery applications are offered to some families and not others because they have an eye on which students are more likely to be good test takers? I have heard many, many different stories about this but have never experienced it myself. So I put that disclaimer there, right? Uh -huh. um, I'm very fortunate that, you know, these crazy for-profit charter schools are, are not something that I need to personally deal with in my district. Knock on wood. Right. But ultimately, yes, I've heard all sorts of horror stories about how important it is that they maintain their their grade test levels. And so they'll, they'll out children or, or they'll go through extreme measures to make sure that parents are taking their children out. They're not willing to do the work, in, in, and they're not willing to invest in the child. And that's ultimately the problem, right? Aside from the fact that we keep teaching to the test, and we're not necessarily always teaching about critical thinking, reading comprehension, and, and things that are much more quali qualitative, and are skills that, and are skills that really, in the long haul, are really, really important once you start adulting, right? Yeah, so... so one of the ways that they're able to, to kind of stack the deck in the first place is there was a report that came out last year that showed 50% of the students that win the lottery do not actually enroll in the Success Academy chain of charter schools. It came out that they have four different mandatory like pre-registration dress rehearsal they have there's four visits that the parents have to make before they actually start school and a lot of parents are too busy to make it or they can't afford the uniforms they can't afford the fees and so they said that one of the ways that they're able to screen these families way ahead of time is that after they won the lottery to count them out you know because they didn't make these four meetings and that all along the way that they're kind of like counseling them 
kids that have special needs are advised maybe you know this isn't the right place for you maybe there would be a better fit somewhere else and so that was a pretty staggering stat when we saw that that only half of the lottery winners actually enroll and so then after they're in they're they're suspended a lot or the the parents are are kind of advised and they they call that counseling out so there are a couple of different ways that they do it, and it's all along the process. And in the end, Success Academy does not hit the targets that they were given by their charter authorizer upstate in Albany, which is the SUNY board. They were given specific targets to hit for special needs kids. You know, that includes ELLs and students with disabilities. And they've never made those targets, which is required by law. And so we are starting to see the discrimination lawsuits and some parents have actually lawyered up and started cases that are kind of working their way through the courts now and so what you know legislatively this could in a new reformed state senate this could be an, an issue if they actually held hearings or and they actually just started to discuss this and instead of just sticking it in the budget at the end well you mentioned a couple of really really key things particularly about not just the state senate, but Albany in general. The truth is that for way too long, Albany has legislated through the budget exclusively. And that's a big, big problem, right? And especially when for hearings, hearings don't really take public testimony from from New York, from average everyday New Yorkers. Or expert witnesses, um, right? Correct. So these are all very, very interesting reforms that I think, I believe are needed in order to make sure that we have a truly functioning state government. Mm -hmm. um, there's a lot of reform of the process itself alone, and then on top of that, being able to then hold these folks accountable, of course. And that's great to hear because that's kind of overarching. Are you familiar with the NAACP proposed national moratorium on new charters? Yes. You are? Okay. Okay, and would you say that you subscribe to that that document? Oh, I would say so. I would say so. Look, I mean, and, and this goes back to my support of, of the CFE funding, right? I, it's been entirely too long since we've been asking for justice, for educational justice for our children. I think particularly for people of color like me or parents of color like me, we are deeply concerned, and, and rightfully so, that, that there is no equity in education for our children. And, and we know that it's worse outside of New York in, in most states. But, you know, here in New York, I think given the new layout of the state senate, we have a true opportunity uh, to do what's right. And there's, been, there's really no better political climate to do it in than now. And so, yeah, pivoting to, to the CFE or foundation aid, there's a couple of different suggestions, you know, if there's new energy and there's new lifeblood in the Democratic Party, how it would actually get paid for. And, and two of the methods that I've heard discussed so far, one would be congestion pricing, and the other one is uh, bringing back the millionaire's tax that was in place in 2011 when they did actually make good on, on a partial payment towards CFE. Could you comment on those and any other methods that you might be you know, preparing to suggest? Yeah, look, there are, quite frankly, uh, several different means. I, along the campaign trail, yes, there's congestion pricing. Yes, there's the millionaire's tax. I, there is a version of the millionaire's tax right now that will expire, that should that could be expanded. Mm -hmm. I know that there are people who are talking about a commuter tax, and there are folks who are 
talking about some other means. On the campaign trail, something that I talked about was the fact that in New York, when you go gambling, you, you know, and you lose money gambling, you can uh, write that off as a tax deduction. And, you know, in 2015, that actually amounted to around $900 million. Wow. Um, and and look, mind you, you know, not only people talk about congestion pricing for education, but we talk about it much more in relationship to the MTA and fixing the MTA. I would say that upgrading, maintaining our public transportation system, upgrading and maintaining our educational system, because remember, education is, oddly enough, one of the sectors where we've least seen a technological, you know, advancement. These are two two areas where, as New Yorkers, we really, really need to prioritize in, in helping. And right now, we're just not seeing it. So we'll, we'll have to figure out how it is exactly that we'll that we're able to do get all of this stuff done. But there's also, you know, historically been a tendency to divert funds away from these areas. Right. Um, you know, sometimes for economic development upstate, which I understand. Uh -huh. um, but at the same time, you know, we have to realize what our priorities are. Um, because it's not just New York City that's owed all that money. We talk about New York City because, of course, you know, it's our hometown and we love it so much. But the fact of the matter is that Austin and East Blackapo and Syracuse, all of those school districts are in dire need of this funding as well. And remember that Kevin Parker, state senator from Brooklyn, actually introduced a hostile amendment to a bill that had something, I forgot what exactly what the bill was, but it had something to do with funeral service directors. Yeah, it was um, an education bill, education funding for like mortuaries or something. Right, it was, it was something that, and you know, New York had the opportunity to essentially vote for, for that funding, but the IDC just didn't show up. Right. Didn't show up to vote. That's right. All right, so I know you're mentioning that uh, a variety of things that they're taking a look at, but would you say that you do support some version of the millionaire's tax that was in place before and that has been passed in assembly bills in the last two concurrent uh, sessions? I'm sorry, I didn't hear the entire question. We were discussing different ways that, that could help foundation aid to be funded, but is it fair to say that you do support some version of the millionaire's tax that would be restored? Yeah, oh, absolutely. Okay, absolutely. great. Great. Okay. Right. And I, I assume that your Republican opponent does not. So my state Senate district is very, very special. We do not have rep active Republicans here. So I do not have a Republican opponent. Oh, okay. And so you're just running. Does Peralta have any of the third party lines? He is on the independence line, the women's equality party line, and the reform party line. But we are pretty, pretty through in through uh, Democratic voters here in State Senate District 13, uh -huh. and so and so we're still campaigning and knocking on doors and stuff like that, but not not with as much vigor as we had to do during the primary, of course. Right. Um. And and right. and well, my opponent or my future predecessor, if you will, is not really currently campaigning. Right. Okay. Another education issue, which is the controversial standardized tests that come every oh God. every spring, and you're a mom, but you have a, a kindergartner and a second grader, so it won't be this year, it'll be next year. Next year. I can't wait to talk them out. <laughs> okay, that answers a lot of questions. The parents are seeing their, their right to opt out diminished by um, the State Education Department, uh, the Board of Regents, and New York City, I'm not sure if you're aware, but last year 
They were supposed to send letters home that inform parents of their options, and last year uh, they did not. And I know that was Chancellor Farina, and that we have a new chancellor now, so it remains to be seen once testing season comes around this year. But there are new punitive measures in place now because Betsy DeVos actually imposed them on the New York State education department and any school now or any school district now that has more than five percent opt-out is supposed to come up with a plan using their own resources to increase test participation if participation is not increased the following year they have been threatening to divert title one funding to make sure that parents opt in in other words they want the schools and the district and the superintendents and the teachers to push the testing onto the parents. So I would ask your view. I know that you're, uh, you, you said you're anticipating opting out for yourself and your family, but if it got to legislation and if there were hearings or if there were maybe even just discussions, would you be in favor of reducing standardized testing, reducing the mandate for standardized testing legislatively? So I am not a believer in standardized testing. I hate how much time it takes to prepare children for the test. I think it is very stressful on children and parents. I, I do anticipate opting my kids out. I think that it's a lie when many educators and or administrators say that not taking the test somehow uh, reduces funding for the school. Right. Um, I'm, I'm very proud of my council, of my council member, Daniel Drum, oh, yeah. who, as a former teacher and, and a brilliant educator still, I would argue, you know, is fighting very hard to make sure that the DOE notifies every parent of their right to opt out. So we'll, we'll see where that goes. Luckily, the city council does hold hearings where everybody can uh, participate, mm -hmm. um, and, and I'm really hoping that, you know, people take advantage of that right to make their voices heard. Daniel Drum is amazing. I believe he's the only city council member that has his own opt-out uh, organization on the side. So he's he's so impressive. When it comes to when it comes to legislation, though, there was a there was a pretty intense battle at the end of the last session to do away with the teacher evaluation system (APPR), and it didn't get done because in the very last minute there was two things added to the bill that kind of poisoned it one was adding a hundred new charter schools under the cap which the assembly would never go for and the other was the yeshiva carve-out for um, Simcha Felder and so the bill didn't get passed even though the state teachers union had already gone around individually asking every single state senator if they support it and they got up to, I believe, 87%. So there was strong support from Democrats and Republicans to open up the education law and take out that teacher evaluation piece because the teacher evaluations were tied to standardized test scores. My question for you, and so I'm sure that some version of that is coming back um, in the next session because they were so close in the last session. My question for you is, if they are going to open up the Education Act again, which is called the Education Transformation Act, there could be a mechanism to reduce the number of tests that are given 
to, to New York State students. If they took out what they call the local tests or the uh, MOSL, Mosul tests, we know that there's a federal mandate for the math and ELA. So that's two days of math and two days of ELA. But the other test that we have to take, and, uh, you know, this is a killer in my school because in my school we take tests for 12 days. We do the two days of math, two days of ELA, and then we have two other days of math and two other days of ELA, which are considered the local tests. And that is a, a state mandate, which could conceivably be changed through legislation. I spoke to a teacher upstate, and they have 20 days. And so it depends on the school, depends on the district. But there is a mandate on the state level to give local tests because the state tests are in moratorium. So would your position be to look for ways to reduce the amount of standardized testing that's given to, to kids? Absolutely. Oh, that was easy. <laughs> that was a two-minute question and a two-second answer. Yeah, so, I mean, it's something that we don't see. We do not see standalone education bills. And so, you know, when you were mentioning reforming Albany, just the way that business is conducted... Um, you know, it would be really an eye-opener just to see a standalone education bill with hearings and testimony and experts. And to imagine, you know, teachers being allowed to testify would be so foreign. But, you know, we are hopeful that, you know, these kind of things might be on the horizon. When you confer with your colleagues that are also running against IDC candidates and maybe other, you know, just progressive Democrats like Julius Salazar that are, you know, that are, look like they're heading to Albany. Do you find a lot of uh, common ground on education issues? Yeah, we find a lot of common ground on a lot of things. I mean, everybody knows that one of the, you know, strongest fighters that we've had for foundation funding has been Robert Jackson. Oh, yeah. Right? Um, so we've all, I think, yeah, I can't think of anyone who, who hasn't made foundation aid funding a priority in their campaign platform. Right. All of us come from districts that are owed um, significant amounts of money, and that's what we'll be fighting for in this next legislative session. Right, and when it comes to, I guess, the you know, the nuts and bolts, do you think that the, you'll find it easy to work with the mainline Democrats, you know, the, the Democrats that have been there a while. And I live in Rockland, and so my state senator looks like it'll be David Carlucci, assuming he wins against the Republican. Somebody like that, where they've kind of been on the wrong side of the fence, and there's this, this whole new energy. Have you been talking to any of the mainline Democrats, and are you seeing any changes in, in some of their stances? Yeah, look, I, I've spoken to many of the mainline Democrats, and it truly seems like everybody is very excited to have new colleagues to work with. I think everybody's really excited to finally be in the majority after such a long time. Uh, it's largely a new cohort of people that have never been in the majority before. Right. So, yeah, we've been discussing some of these issues and then some. And I think you're going to find that a lot of us are on board. When when it comes to the the donors, right, the 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 PACs and the lobbies, you know, we hear a lot about the real estate donors, and then we hear a lot about the charter school donors. Have you had any contacts? Have have they tried to reach out to you? Do you think that there's been any attempts to kind of you know see if you and your no IDC colleagues would play ball with them? 
Well, look, they haven't, they haven't reached out to me, but maybe it's because they know that they've got an earful, so they don't want to waste their time. <laughs> right, right. So, uh, because there was a report on NPR last Friday that mentioned that the charter packs have not done any spending like they have in past cycles, and they're either waiting until the very last minute, which I think we're there now, or else they're just going to be sitting this one out, in which case there really could possibly be you know, a lot of a lot of movement against charters in the next session. Do you anticipate uh, maybe some a last minute flood of of charter money coming in, or you think this is it? You know, I'm no expert. I'm not an education expert. I'm certainly not a campaign consultant, but I would venture to say that you know their moment the, their moment is past. There is a new Democratic majority in the state senate. That is imminent, and um, and we'll see we'll see uh, what the results are. But I'm pretty confident that that the, the moment to talk to people was during the primary, and I think that we made a good case for them having a lost cause. Right on. All right. Well, um, I really appreciate taking the time to get in depth on education. And was there anything else that you wanted to add that it was one of your priorities? No, I mean, just education-wise, um, you know, in, in districts like mine, my, my district is the most diverse district in the country, uh, where we speak more than 160 languages. We have the second largest LGBTQ community. Just in terms of cultural competency and dual language programs and bilingual education, we're starting to look here, especially in the Jackson Heights portion of my district, where there are many active public school parents. We have this fabulous group called Jackson Heights Parents for Public Schools. So they've been very active against standardized testing. Um, and right now, they're, they're really out there talking about what a progressive school model would look like. Um, and, and I'm really excited and feel really honored to have them, to have them here in the neighborhood. Uh, to see how it is, how slowly but surely we can we can right the ship and and make sure that we are giving our children you know the best education that we can. I was just this past weekend. I was at the at the NPE conference. Uh, the Network for Public Education, and the keynote speaker was the president of the NAACP, Derek Johnson. And I stuck up my hand and I asked a question about charter schools because they had this really strong national moratorium that they called for that was way ahead of anybody else. The AFT joined on about a year later and the NEA, and, you know, and, and we're starting to hear about it in the campaigns. What he stressed was that we really need to put kids before our, you know, our own agendas, you know, whether it's the teacher union or whether it's politicians or whether it's outside groups, and take a look at places where it's really working, right? And really, really look at places where it's working. And I would say that Queens, New York, and, you know, I'm sure it's a lot of neighborhoods in your district are some of the best examples that we have, especially in New York City. You know, it's very competitive. It's very you know, high-performing schools, and, you know, I know some teachers that, that work in Queens. I would say, like, you know, that's the move, like, to really take a look at what's going on in public schools where, you know, there's a lot of great, you know, stuff happening, and, you know, and, th and that's a formula that we should be looking at for other areas. It goes, yeah. it goes exactly with what he's saying. It's like we should look at what's actually working, and I think Jackson Heights, I, I know there's a lot of different neighborhoods in your district, you know, where the, where the school are considered, you know, a cut above the average New York City public school. Yeah, yeah, no, that's, 
that's true. We're, we're very lucky here. Uh, Corona um, has great public schools, as does Elmhurst, but they're also in you know, community education, county district uh, 24, which is one of the most overcrowded. So we have a lot of work ahead of us. But I'm eager. I'm eager to get started. I'm eager. I'm eager for January to arrive. Jessica, thank you so much. And best of luck on having a landslide and then going up to Albany and telling them what's what. All right. I'm going to do my best. Oh, great. All right. Really good talking to you. All right. Take care. All right. Bye -bye. Thanks. Bye.